Monday, January the 19th, 2015, and we're here with another installment of Behind the Lens, and we're going to go behind the lens and below the line on some fun things today. Joining me again is the wonderful, the super talented, super fun. Oh, stop. Stop, And, su- stop. and super crazy, Chad Miller. <laughs> Definitely super crazy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you're, you for having me again. Oh, my God. You're going to have to fight me off with a stick. <laughs> You are, I mean, I love having you here, and everybody who saw you on our debut show just is just thrilled with you. Because I look like Burl Ives today. Well, no, actually today, I mean, because we're going to talk about Paddington today. Oh, yes, because I look like a bear. You Do you look like... <laughs> I'm bringing the teddy bear to the Behind the Lens show today. Well, you know, we can't have Paddington in person, so we'll get we'll get, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get, get the next best thing. That's perfect. We'll we'll get Chad. Yes. So, and we're going to talk a, li- a little bit about Oscars, and in our second half hour, we're going to have Peter Baxter, the co-founder and president of Slam Dance, who's going to call in. That's so exciting. And talk to us about Slam Dance, which is now in its twentieth year. That's amazing. It, it's truly amazing mm-hmm. because for the longest time, that was l- treated like the little stepsister of. True, but so many Sundance? wonderful things have come out of that ballroom. I mean, I just I, that has always been one of my favorite movies. So we will talk about that when we get to the second half hour. Yes, and I, you know, and Peter will be here as long as he wants to talk. He's going to call in because he's up in the cold country. I think. Ah, nice. We're yep, not in up po- in bear country. We're just going to play the bear. We're, we're going to do the bear theme today. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, let's start off with. Let's see. Should we start off with Oscars or with Paddington? What do you think? Mm, let's start off with Oscars. Oscars, I think, are on top of everybody's mind. And then we will segue into something a bit more, you know. Fun. Childlike and Peter Pan. Childlike Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Well, and, you know, Oscars, of course, you know, hearkening back to our first show, we mm-hmm. and learned a lot about costuming, mm-hmm. thanks mm-hmm. to my interview with Colleen Atwood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And happy to say, Colleen picked up another Oscar nomination for That's Into amazing. the Woods. Do you know that she now has the most Oscar nominations uh costuming nominations she has 11 the most nominations for costume design for any living person of course the record holder for costume design is edith head oh <laughs> at 35 i don't think anybody's coming close to edith <laughs> well congratulations colleen that's amazing i am thrilled dennis gassner production designer for into the woods picked up an oscar nomination as well I am actually very ecstatic to see Into the Woods recognized <laughs> so many times. As you know, that was one of my favorite things that we talked about last time. That's, so, uh, um, yeah, it it really just, I'm so thrilled. And speaking of bears, I know that James Corden is secretly pining for me, so. Oh, well. Even even if he didn't get a nomination, even if he still won in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's hope for an Emmy once there's, it starts there, there's show. Hope, that's, so. that's correct. But we've got, you know, there's a lot of chat going on, and I guess today is a good day to bring it up. Mm-hmm. People are talking about Selma, mm-hmm. you know, an Oscar nominee for Best Picture, but nothing for David Oyelowo mm-hmm. and nothing for Ava DuVernay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot that go behind that. And a lot of people don't realize how the, the nominations process 
happens. Everybody gets to to rank picks, and mm-hmm. then it's if everybody has Selma as number one, well, then Selma would get an Oscar nomination. I would love to hear you explain a little bit more about that because I know that when I was talking with some of my friends who aren't as deeply entrenched in the industry as we are, they don't really understand how a picture can be nominated for Best Picture but not have the director attached. So can you give a little? Well, now you know what's happened now since the Academy changed the voting rules and. They can nominate up to 10 pictures. You can still only nominate five directors. So somewhere in there, there's going to be a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And for decades, it pretty much went hand in hand where best picture, best director, Mm -hmm. you'd see them getting nominated. We saw a breakaway uh, with that around the time of Driving Driving Miss Daisy. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's typically been pretty cohesive and synergistic. Until that voting change, so that now you can have up to 10 Best Picture nominees. The past several years, there have been nine. This year, there are only eight. But I think all eight are just amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing choices. And I think the Academy, they got it right. Well, who are the standouts for you this year in the list? Oh, of Best Picture? Mm-hmm. And Best Director. Oh, oh. I got to say, I think I've got to go with Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, out of the best pictures, we've got American Sniper, which is a fabulous film. It is, I think, the best thing Clint Eastwood has directed since Unforgiven. Um, it is disappointing that Clint did not pick up a best directing nod, but the, the film is something everybody should see. And looking at the box office this weekend, over $90 million. Oh my God. For American Sniper. My, just, my dad will be so excited to hear that. I mean, he has been a Clint Eastwood fan since um, every which way but loose. But loose. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the first. That is horrible. I'm sure Clint Eastwood would not be happy hearing that, but that, is, that was my first introduction to him. My watching good. those movies. No rawhide, none of that. No, huh? it was like we. I grew up in a household of like uh, that movie and Cannonball Run and Smokey and the Bandit. Like those were HBO played those, you know, back to back to back. So those were my first introductions to those movies. Oh, well, I saw them when there was no HBO. <laughs> so, but American Sniper, superb choice mm-hmm. is the best picture. Birdman, absolutely amazing. Have you seen that I, one? That, I think that's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's absolutely stunning. Then there's, of course, there's Boyhood. Boyhood is the one that I have a problem with as a best picture nominee. And why is that? Primarily because... Granted, yes, it was filmed over the course of 12 years. Yes, it was a behemoth editing job. Definitely deserves a nomination for best editing. But conceptually, it's really what we've already seen from Richard Linklater with the Before Trilogy, Mm. doing them nine years apart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is just all compacted into one film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So That's actually an interesting point. I have not heard that yet. You know, that's... You know, I think the film is superbly done. Mm-hmm. And the one person everybody everybody's talking about, you know, Ethan Hawke. They're talking about uh, Patricia, Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Nobody's talking about the boy himself, Eller Coltrane. And last week, I, play, I played some of my interview that I had done oh, with Eller. Oh, nice. And I just saw, and I saw him at the Spirit Award nominees brunch as well. And he is just a charming young man. But he's the boy we watch grow up in boyhood. Yeah, and I love that you said that because I just got my new copy of Entertainment Weekly, and they are making him front and center on the cover, which is great because you normally hear about all the big names attached to the the movie. And here they're like, well, it is called boyhood. 
Here, here's the boy. Yeah. And to actually watch Eller grow up over the years. Mm-hmm. And so much of the character of Mason, he infused a lot of himself as he got older um, in terms of photography. He's very much into photography. And anybody who's seen the film knows that Mason also is into photography. And, those, and things like that, Eller brought. Mm-hmm. And Richard was very open to that collaboration mm-hmm. and a lot of that insight. So Eller is, if he decides to pursue acting, I know he's uh, thinking of college right now, uh-huh. So, or his photography, which is amazing. Whatever he does, you know, it's going to be a joy to see where he goes after seeing him. But everybody really needs to stop and think about Eller Coltrane. Okay. Because boyhood would not be boyhood without him. Absolutely. What, any snubs? Any snubs that you... Um, you know, a lot of people are, have commented about Unbroken, Angelina Jolie being snubbed. I have to say, I went crazy for what she did with In the Land of Blood and Honey. That was an outstanding, outstanding directorial debut. I think she took two steps back with Unbroken. Hmm. I don't think that this was, that she was snubbed. It was She did a, a good job, but I think... She lost the humanity of the story in trying to accomplish a lot more, a lot of technical aspects mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I was disappointed. I liked the film. Mm-hmm. She did a good job, but she did not, She it was not as good as she did with In the Land of Blood and Honey. Do you think that that tends to be true of many sophomore efforts from people like the the initial thing that they do is their directorial debut really comes out front and center and then they lose a little piece by the time they move to something else because now they have the clout and they have they feel like they have more freedom i i've seen it happen a prime example is my my now friend dave boyle director dave boyle his um very first film big dreams little tokyo which i first time we met i reviewed it i was his first his first big review oh wow on the film and then his next couple films there were problems i saw problems and he was like and even he admits that yeah he lost it there and then this past year at la film festival man from reno he came back he switched up his style switched up his storytelling and man from reno superb he jumped got right you know he Fell down a little bit, picked himself up, and he is just hotter than ever with oh, that film. Great. And Man from Reno is still playing all around the United States at, on various festivals, winning awards like crazy. And I am so proud of him because he's so easily, he could have just kept running into problems and going downhill. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm, didn't. Mm-hmm. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps, reevaluated, mm-hmm. and, you know, came back better than ever. That's great. So, you know, it does happen. Of course, we've got Imitation Game is nominated for Best for best Picture, which is so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about Imitation Game on another show uh, when, it came out, when the film came out. The problem I have with it is the third act that kind of goes in two different directions with each point of the, getting sh- the short shrift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but there is no denying the power of the performances, the power of the story, Alan Turing's story. We wouldn't be here with computers now were it not for Alan Turing. Yes, that, that's so true. So, you know, 
There was there was a lot of biography in this year's movies. There was a mm-hmm. lot, you know, and of course, theory of everything. Mm-hmm. I said it before. I will say it again. Hand Eddie Redmayne the Oscar now. Oh, I know. I I was so giddy at the Golden Globes when all that happened. I just. I, I, I loved that performance. I, I mean, from like 20 minutes into that movie, I was crying. The minute I, I screened the film before it ever came out, I immediately typed back to the publicist, hand Eddie Redmayne the Oscar now. <laughs> that, that, that was it. And I have maintained that. That is an amazing, it's an indelible performance that mm-hmm. will live for generations. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. You know, years from now, it will definitely be part of TCM. Mm. It will be a classic. Mm. And it's due in large part to not only Eddie, but Felicity Jones. Okay. Well, I, I totally, I think that for me, uh, I was so moved by so many uh, female performances this year in cinema. And I think we talked about it a little bit the last time I was on this show, but I think all the women in Gone Girl were phenomenal. Like Carrie Coon, I thought was just beyond yeah. brilliant in that. And I'd only seen her in The Leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, H circle back to HBO again. Um, you but- and HBO. I I, <laughs> HBO is not a sponsor of Behind <laughs> no. the Lens. However, if you would like to be, please give us a call. Let us know. Um, she just inhabited that role so fully. And I, I, the woman's name who played the cop too now escapes me. But like I, I would... The, the women carried that movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Ben Affleck pulled it down by any stretch of the imagination, but, but I was clearly blown away by the Yeah, movie. it is definitely, it's, it's a female-driven film mm-hmm. on so many levels. Felicity Jones, uh, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt is, and we said this before, Emily is the heart and soul. She is the yeah. heart of Into the Woods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And girl can sing girl can i would love to do bear karaoke with her somewhere emily if you're listening (laughs) there's a duet for us somewhere and of course julianne moore still alice it's getting wider in release now so more people can see this performance it is nuanced stunning breathtaking i still i I still (laughs) pardon the pun i still have not seen that movie that is on my list to go see it is it is a definite must see, and of course Reese Witherspoon in Wild. Yeah, what did you think about Laura Dern in Wild? Laura Dern was one of the happiest surprises when they announced Best Supporting Actresses. I never thought for a minute the Academy would look at that performance, mm-hmm. but Laura just shines, shines, and in coming weeks. We may even have some some sound from my interview with Laura. Do what? Do what? What? Yes. I've, I've got to be a co-host on the show a bit more. You're talking to all my favorite people. Well, yeah. Oh, I know what you're saying. I mean, clearly you're one of my favorite people, too. But. Oh, well. <laughs> thank you. And we are about to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we're back, and we're sitting here playing with dials, and we're going to see if I can get dials and then buttons right today, too. (laughs) So that's always a technically challenged one here. Take your cue from Alan Turing. (laughs) I'm sorry. <laughs> be, be more tech savvy. I'm sorry. But in, uh, back to our Oscars briefly before we move on to the highlight of my film viewing this week is 
in terms of a recommendation, Paddington. But, uh, you know, it, briefly talking about the men nominated for Oscars. Any favorites for you? Anyone stand out? Uh, gosh, I, I, I still feel I'm, I'm circling back to something that we said right before the break. It was the females that really pushed it mm-hmm. for for me this year. Um, Eddie Redmayne, obviously, I'm very stoked about. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, I thought, did an amazing job. Um, Steve Carell was a little bit of a surprise with, mm, with big surprise to me with Whiplash. Um, J.K. No, Simmons, J.K. Simmons, mm-hmm. superb, super. And Mark Ruffalo, I am thrilled. Oh yeah, Mark was the best part of Foxcatcher. <laughs> I I don't think that I've actually ever seen one bad Mark Ruffalo performance, like a phoned-in performance. So. No, no, and we saw him in Begin Again this year as well with Kira mm-hmm. Knightley. So Mark and Kira both, both. Oscar nominees. And the normal heart. And the normal heart. Just brilliant and... Absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But let's move on to Paddington. Let's move on to to animals of my choice, bears. (laughs) And for those, when you watch our video, our video podcast later this week, you will see the lovely visual aids that we have. Paddington books. All kinds of Paddington books. And these are now new ones based on the movie. These, these are not Michael Bond's original stories. You, those you go by, they are classic, they are magnificent, they are wonderful. But now there's a whole new line of, of books for young children, intermediate level reading children, about the movie and Paddington's adventures. It's a great way to get your kids to read. It actually did. This was the first series that I was introduced to as a child. This and Amelia Bedelia. This actually got me to, to read. I think I first encountered uh, Panic of the Bear in first grade many, many moons ago. Well, Paddington was born the same year I was. So I had great <laughs> affection, great affection for Paddington. And what's interesting is Michael Bond, the author of the Paddington books, held on to the, to the Paddington property, to the legacy, so tightly People wanted to make Paddington a feature film. Mm. He would not. No, it was just never the right time. There were some short-lived animated series that were Mm -hmm. out periodically, but never a feature film until producer David Heyman stepped in, the man behind with the magic wand, as in Hogwarts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, David stepped in and he brought in this incredible director, Paul King. This is Paul's first feature film. He also wrote the script. Um, Paul is known best for some BBC comedies. And which ones do you know off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, no. But I can look at my notes and I can tell you that "Come Fly with Me," Ah. "Little Crackers," "Dog Face," "Mighty Boosh." I did not know. Now I'm giddy. I did not know that information. Yes. Yes. I am full of trivial information. (laughs) You are. That's great. All right. Not mean to take you off topic. So he brought brought him in. So he has a flair for comedy already. He does. Clearly. And anybody that would ever meet Paul, he is the nicest guy on the planet. He is smiling. He is happy. He has the personality of Paddington. Uh. And... Having seen the film and then meeting Paul and talking to him at length, there is so much of him infused in Paddington, even though Paddington is voiced by Ben Wishaw, which it's just melts your heart. <laughs> it melts your heart. The voice casting is superb. We have some Harry Potter veterans stepping in. Michael Gambone, Imelda Staunton voice. For anybody that doesn't know the story of Paddington, Paddington Bear is a little bear who grew up in the darkest Peru. 
and he was raised by his aunt and uncle. And one day, a great explorer came from London and brought all kinds of civilized things in tea time and orange marmalade and gramophones and records. And he saw the intelligence of these bears and he cultured them. So Paddington was then cultured by his aunt and uncle and grew up until one day there was a huge earthquake. His uncle dies. His poor aunt can't raise him. But the explorer had always said, you know, come to London. Londoners, they love you. During the war, during World War II, they would take in homeless children and they would find them homes and they would love them and care for them. So Aunt Lucy says, this is the place to send Paddington and packs him up with a suitcase of orange marmalade and stows him on a boat and he goes off to London where he meets the Brown family. The Brown family is played beautifully by Sally Hawkins, who plays Mm. Mrs. Brown. Um, Hugh Bonneville, that so many people, he's so often underrated, and he is just superb. Um, And, of course, we have some nice uh, nice little cameos from Peter Capaldi, Doctor Who, um, Jim Broadbent. Oh, my God. I love Jim Broadbent. And then the scene stealer of them all, Nicole Kidman. She is she is the evil Millicent, and she wants Paddington, but she doesn't want Paddington as a nice little companion. She wants Paddington to be stuffed <laughs> and put in her exhibit at the Natural History Museum. So. It's all about Paddington's adventures, and some of the adventures are pulled from the initial Paddington storybook, A Bear Called Paddington. Others are pulled from some of the other books in the series, but it all comes together so beautifully. It is engaging. It is delightful. But technically, the film is superb, not just in the creation of Paddington. Paddington is a CGI done by Frame Store out of London. They have done an amazing job the most expressive little eyes even gets tears in them. And when you see Paddington tear up, you're going to tear up. But I'm, I'm just warning you. So you need tissues. But, you know, the use of color and the production design really tells the big story of Paddington. And I had a chance to sit down and talk, as I said, and talk with Paul King at length about some of that. And here's what he had to say. How did you go about, because one of the most striking elements of Paddington is you've got your cotton your cotton candy colored exterior yeah. of Notting Hill, of the yeah. residential, yeah. but then you have this beautiful doll's house that yes. opens up oh. with the vibrancy of the color and the various tones with the flooring different with each one, yes. the leveling skewed. Yes. it's a little bit more. How... How did you guys go about developing this design, this look, and then Eric having such distinctive lighting for each individual yeah. room um, and part of the brown life? Well, um, wow. That's, I know, that's convoluted. No, that's a great <laughs> question. I'm going to try and frame an answer that takes less than about a month. Huh? Um, it was a long process. I mean, it was a... We started probably from colour was the sort of first thing. And um, 
And you don't have traditional color here either. No. You skew. You know, you've got for the rockets in outer space, you don't have a straight red, you don't have a straight no. orange. Everything is... They try to be rich but a little faded at the yes. same time. So it's got this slight sort of golden nostalgia That feel. patina to it. Yeah. So we looked at we looked at that, and I suppose we looked at um, we looked at Amelie. The film mm-hmm. was a big reference point, um, and the gorgeous kind of deep saturated reds of that. And then we were thinking about Paddington's costume. This is where it really came from. Sorry, this is I, I hate to give a pretentious answer, but we were thinking about the red of his hat that he arrives with, and then the blue of the coat that he that he finds and we we they're hard colours to find. There was a moment where my wife is a hat maker, she made the Paddington hat. Oh. And there was a moment where I met one of our crew uh, and he was wearing the red jumper and we've been trying to find this red and I went, I need your jumper. And this poor guy gave me his jumper and I had it like it was just like the last day we make we could find order the fabric and we had it shipped to my wife's studio and she was like using this as a reference and about three days later this guy went, Can I have my jumper back? It's the only one I have. I went, Oh sorry. It was really terrible. But so we chose them really carefully and we wanted and the blue is kind of like an RAF like an Air Force mm-hmm. blue, like it's slightly not. We wanted like strong colours, but not total primary colours. And then we started thinking about well, Paddington's like red and blue, and he brings the family together, and that's sort of the spirit of the film. So we thought, well, Sally and red. There's a lovely Roman Polanski quote about how London is a city of reds because there's like the buses and the pillar boxes, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the phone boxes and all of those things. And, and of course, the red poppies. Uh, yes, yes, and the red hat of the explorer. And we thought, well, maybe red is like the colour of decent England, you know, of like warm, friendly England, like the kind of nice things about it. And so we gave that to Sally and Jonathan, and so she's wearing red coats and lots of kind of bright, warm colours, and the boy, Jonathan, is wearing like red in his jacket, and his room has the red of Mars on the wall, and her has that amazing red Chinese wallpaper, and then Hugh's character is much more of the blue, and so Paddington doesn't initially understand him, mm. and so he wears like blue things in his tie, and the girl, Judy, is in the same palette. And so we sort of started building that and felt that they could slowly swap bits of colouring. And, and of course blah, then blah, your blah. kitchen was the, le- the mint green, the lemon yellows. <laughs> and we wanted a kind of way of doing a neutral space that was like not... Because Hugh's, like Henry's room's like the front room and, and Mary's room's like her bedroom is where she's sort of most associated. That's where she works. And so we wanted a kind of way of doing a neutral space that could for like the bathroom and the kitchen, and there in the same sequence. So we got the same colouring in both of those mm-hmm. rooms because we thought it would help the cuts if you felt like the the whole thing sitting together. So it was like uh, it was a long process, but we were trying to use colour to tell a story, I suppose. And and we referenced just a million things, you know. And mm-hmm. Tim Walker, this amazing photographer, I'm a really big fan of. Uh, some some of the ideas came from some of his photographs of just you know lots of different photographs and a really amazing guy who took loads of pictures of New York in the 1950s called Saul Leiter and the mm-hmm. like big like red, he uses lots of big splashes of red and color but they don't feel they've got that nice old kind of Kodachrome mm-hmm. feel like it's not crazy technical yeah. it's like some just sing out but you go a lot of the feel of the film comes from the color palette and people go it sort of feels a bit sort of warm and friendly and old and it doesn't feel too modern you get that's that's, that's why, why. You know. so we have just gotten a great lesson on the use of color in paddington mm-hmm. and i mean i just as he said you know a, a red jumper that somebody a sweater that somebody was wearing 
was the inspiration for the color red mm-hmm. for Paddington's hat, mm-hmm. which is just, it is as people, you know, when you watch the video of the show today and you go to the movie, you will see all these lovely visual references that Paul's talking about and that Chad and I are talking about. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things with Paddington is the team. You know, Rob Marshall talked about his own mini Arthur Freed unit. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Paul King has his own little mini Arthur Freed unit going on here. Eric Wilson, his cinematographer. Uh, Greg Williamson, his production designer. Both of these guys have done a lot of work with Richard Iotti on the double submarine. Very color-infused, color-dependent films. And as I found out from Paul, Richard Iotti and he went to university together. (laughs) So it's this great collective that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it really is, it's like his own little mini Arthur Freed unit. And then Sally Hawkins is also part of that, mm-hmm. having done all of Richard's films. And she and Paul have also been friends for a long time. Oh, and we have a caller on the line here. Let's find out who it is. Hello, you're on Behind the Lens. Peter, is that you? Hey, Debbie. Good good morning. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> Very good, thanks. So, are, are you up in, freezing up in Park City? Uh, yeah, we're, we are <laughs> in the, uh, the jolly heights of Park City setting up for Sandance 2015, and uh, we're having a, a great time. Well, and this is a really big anniversary for Slamdance. The little festival that could is now in its 20th year. Yeah, well, we're 20 and 21, so I think any year after the first year has always been seen as a, <laughs> as, a as a good year, having been able to uh, somehow, uh, you know, somehow, some way continue. And um, and it's been, yeah, we've we've had a lot of we've had a lot of fun along along the way. For those that are just joining us, uh, Peter Baxter is calling in on the line. He's the president and co-founder of Slam Dance Film Festival. And to give people an idea of from whence Slamdance came, what what was the origins? What inspired you and your partners in crime, uh, Dan Mirvish, John Fitzgerald, and Shane Kuhn, to come up with Slamdance? Um, I, I think one word, really, which is rejection. Um, <laughs> we, 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 all, we, we all got rejected, but... Um, you know, in the last couple of years, Neil Young was at the festival, and he was talking about sort of the fear of failure, the fear of, of having gone through a sort of creative process and it's sort of not working, but how important it is to learn from from failing in order to better cr- to create and to be able to sustain, actually, what you want to do. And, you know, here we were in 95, and we didn't get our films into Sundance. Every single one of the films that slammed out in the first year, which we called Anarchy in Utah for, uh, for, for many a good reason, um, we'd all been rejected by, by Sundance. And, um, you know, some filmmakers sort of felt awkward about that, sort of having that stamp of rejection, because, of course, at the, you know, that time, if you didn't get your film into Sundance, um, there were very few opportunities in the, as an independent filmmaker to be seen. Um, but instead of, you know, strolling off into the sunset with our tails between our legs, we decided to come together and really form this um, filmmaking support uh, that we still very much, you know, more than ever, really, have, have today. 
And so just as, you know, as filmmakers who, who really didn't have a clue about how to put on a film festival, we got together and we, you know, we, 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 we were going to support one another. We were going to go out and promote our work together. Short films teamed up with uh, the feature films that they were playing together, and we went out flyering and telling people in Park City, the industry, about what we were doing and why we were doing it. And at that time, you see at Sundance, you know, not getting in, as I said, was very difficult, but a lot of the films now at Sundance had, you know, were, were already finding distribution, already had bigger budgets, and the, that festival itself was going through changes. And so, therefore, it became really difficult as an independent artist, a new one coming up to be seen. But, you know, as a collective coming together, we found that we were able to make a mark. And we didn't know we were going to continue Slamdance. It, <laughs> um, it wasn't supposed to continue. It was just for us in the first year. But then we realized there were going to be lots of other filmmakers coming up who wanted the same kind of showcase that we'd done in '95. And that's what we've been doing ever since. We've really um, stayed true, I think, to our origins. And uh, it's still very much today, and it's a much larger one now. It's sort of a, you know, the community is made up of a great deal of, of, of spirit all coming through um, the filmmakers that, uh, that either program the festival or indeed just about to come into the festival this, this, this year, which we're really excited to support. Now, one of the interesting things about Slamdance is that your programmers are filmmakers. Other festivals yeah. don't really boast that. Their programmers are programmers. They're not filmmakers. How do you think that impacts submissions and other and the quality of films that you're getting? Yeah, well, well from a you know, from a practical point of view in in, in 96 um, and 97 where you know, there were just you know, just a small handful of programmers, and, and now there was interest in slam dance from other emerging filmmakers coming through. This question had to be asked: Well, how can we actually then, you know, program more films that are then going to be submitted to slam dance? How we can do? How can we do this properly? How can we do this fairly? How can we treat filmmakers that no one knows uh, in, a, in a in a fair and reasonable way that we can sort of, you know, give give, give them a, a fair shout? And, um, you know, as you were saying, a lot of film festivals, they don't program um, in a kind of, uh, in this sort of, in a, in a democratic way. It's a curated program, which is decided upon by a few. And we didn't want that. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to be detrimental towards the other process, but we wanted to try and create a kind of a film democracy of, of sorts. And, you know, we found that the filmmakers that in the first year were so enthusiastic about um, wanting to continue to be a part of Slamdance, we thought that a really good way of doing that was to ask them to come back and support new filmmakers by programming the film festival. And uh, that, uh, that, 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 that programming has grown. You know, this year we have over, over 100 programmers, but all of them have been um, a part of Slamdance before. And um, there's no fashion, there's no particular direction that we have. The only direction, in fact, is given to the filmmaker to decide what film they want to see at the festival. Mm. And we divide ourselves into uh, groups according to categories, whether it's a doc, um, doc feature, or it's a narrative feature, or experimental, or an anarchy short. Um, and these groups, then, they get together and they decide um, themselves what films they want to see. And it's worked. I mean, you know, at Treasure Mountain Inn, where I am right now in, in, you know, in Park City, 
you know, all these filmmakers like Christopher Nolan, the Russo brothers, Lena Dunham, Ben Zeitlin, this is where they first showed their films. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know that we're going to see another great crop of filmmakers this year. And, of course, it's decided upon then still by the filmmakers. Well, and I know. it's shown, I think, that, uh, you know, artists themselves can, you know, can discover these great new emerging um, uh, artists coming through here. Well, I know I've been going through and screening a lot of the films that are going to be at Slam Dance, and I have to say I am beyond impressed with what I've oh, seen great. so far. There is some really, really good stuff. Your publicist, Annie, is doing a very good job about putting things in my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> just so you know. But and a really fascinating part of Slam Dance is as you have grown, you haven't just grown as a festival, but you've also you've got your, screen, your screenplay competition, and I love the fact that each year you produce the winning script from the short screenplay competition and then premiere it at the festival. That's mm-hmm. that's something that doesn't happen at other film festivals. Yeah, well, thank you for recognizing the, the writing competition. I mean, the, the writing competition came about as a, a way to support emerging artists. And, um, yeah, each year we make, a, we make a winning screenplay and we present it at the festival to give that writer, you know, just like a director, the opportunity to showcase their their work, and uh, I think it speaks very much to this community, this filmmaking community, and um, how we involve other slam dance filmmakers in order to to make that. So, for example, with Think Inc., which is the film you're speaking about here by Wally Chung, you know he has been at the festival with his film uh, Bible Quiz, which is the Grand Jury Prize winner a couple of years ago. The music composition was uh, uh, was, was is the same composer as the composer we have in thinking and thinking and um, i and anna we helped to produce this, the film so it's an example really of how the the community actually does work and uh, yeah thanks for thanks for thanks for pointing that out oh i i think that is just a wonderful wonderful aspect and it should serve as an inspiration to screenwriters out there that there is somewhere that they can you know they may possibly see the fruits of their labor mm-hmm. with just an idea mm-hmm and then you've also expanded to go in with Slam. You've got Slam Dance Studios now, and I love this your ninety nine dollars special. Can, can you tell everybody what this ninety nine dollars special is? Because I just think this is great. Yeah. Um, well, a few years ago, um, you know, we were hearing from filmmakers how hard it was to make their second film. And so much energy and, and uh, favors have been uh, uh, used up in creating that first film. And to sort of get the next one going, it's, extre- it's extremely difficult. But, you know, what we've seen in the last few years is just this, um, this these, these incredible opportunities provided to filmmakers with modern technology. So here we're you know, speaking about the sort of great cameras now that, uh, that um, are within our means to buy. It was only a few years ago that, you know, cameras good quality cameras you couldn't you couldn't afford them and they were very difficult to rent but these days you can buy a really great uh, good camera at a at a, at a, at a low price mm-hmm. same with um same with software that you use for editing or for coloring it's within your means to own these things and to be able to then spend time on crafting your story 
um, at home or in your, you know, in your in your office, your home office, or wherever it may be. So you don't have to ask for permission or sort of, um, you know, raise a lot of funds this, these days to be able to sort of get your your vision out there. But um, that was, you know, that 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 was a challenge for many filmmakers. So applying then sort of what's happened with new technology. And again, this community to support filmmakers, sort of uh, be able to continue to practice their craft, to be able to, you know, keep on going forward. We decided that we would give filmmakers 99 bucks and 99 days, or simply <laughs> to come up and make their own uh, their, their their own film. And that's, uh, that's what we've that's what we've been doing now for a number of years. And uh, you know, we've had some great successes out of those as well. Um, and one one of them got turned into a TV show, and uh, a number of uh, a number of them went on to play at you know, many other film festivals. And it's a way to, um, as I say, to keep um, being able to practice filmmaking, to encourage, to support. Um, at a time often when you're a writer or you're a, you're a director, uh, where you you feel as though that you are alone, you're not quite sure where you're heading at that particular point. It's great for fanarts to come along and give you a real good boot and mm-hmm. sort of sense of encouragement within our community to continue then to create. Well, I, I just, is there anything that you're really looking forward to in this year's festival? Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited about um, a, a number of films and a number of programs that we, uh, that, that, that we have this year. Um, I think that the competition films, whether it's a, a dot competition or narrative, it's very, very strong this year. And um, the, uh, the, the there's I'll give you a couple of examples of the films that we're that, that we're playing. Um, uh, Walking with Trees, I think, is an amazing documentary which looks at uh, which, which looks at the tree uh, and really how it's been able to. Um, uh, evolve our humanity, and it's such a, a, a standout, really, in this in this festival. It just it would be a standout anyway. But it's this this beautiful contemplative piece about how then you know trees have really shaped uh, shaped the world. Whether it's whether it's wood that's sort of helped create boats, which has brought us to the new world, uh, or or indeed paper. It's a very unexpected film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those examples where programmers have found something which is so completely different. It really does stand out. But you know, as I say, there's, there's a, there are a number of those in our program. I mean, a popular one, which you've probably heard about, which Annie has been telling you about, a publicist, is, of course, Dennis, Dennis Robbins' doc, um, Pyongyang, which we're, which we're premiering. Um, and uh, that, of like, course, uh, is so timely right now, too. Yeah, and it's all by accident. And of course, you know, it's also an accident that James Franco is going to be at the festival as well. So it's a, you know, it, it, but it fits because, of course, it's one of those uh, collision courses that we love at Slam Dance. And uh, I'm sure it's going to, um, I'm sure it's going to be a great, uh, uh, that'll be a great screening. And having James Franco at the festival will be also great as well for um, a film that he's produced called Yosemite mm-hmm. and directed by a new filmmaker, Gabrielle Demister. And um, she's taken actually one of his stories from Palo Alto mm-hmm. that he's been writing and, um, uh, and is probing at the festival. And it's a great example, really, of having someone like James at the festival, someone who's getting behind these new filmmakers and supporting them. And um, we're going to be having a Coffee With event uh, with, with James on the, on the 29th of January. And we're going to be discussing his filmmaking and why he is so, uh, so, you know, so supportive of emerging filmmakers. Mm-hmm. 
And we have these coffee with events for our filmmakers, really, first and foremost, to encourage them, to inspire them, and to, in many ways, show them the way, uh, way forward. And uh, I mentioned before Neil Young taking part in one, but uh, we've had uh, Jonathan Demi take part in one. Um, this year we have Daniel Zappin from Maker Studios. He's also going to be here at the festival as well. And all these, uh, you know, take place to support um, independent filmmaking and to and to inspire. Well, I, and James Franco, I just I uh, screened not too long ago his film The Color of Time, where he took. 12 different directors and had them all directing different parts of the film. He is a real champion of filmmakers, of helping promote. So I'm thrilled that he's going to be participating in Slamdance this year. Yeah, he, um, yeah, me too. And uh, I, I just wonder, we all work hard at Slamdance, but I just wonder where James Franco finds uh, all of this uh, all of this time to do all of these incredibly um, creative uh, yeah, undertakings. I have, still haven't worked that one out, but he's so prolific. And, I think that he was uh, again, we'll be hearing more about that at the coffee with the, the coffee with event. Oh, that's that that's good. My little partner in crime on my end, uh, Chad Chad Miller, has decided James has just been cloned. Yes, but I, I think that that will, be, that will be the big reveal for 2015. Is that um, along with Dolly the sheep that James Franco was cloned. <laughs> And that, that's why he's able to be everywhere and, and, and devote countless hours of energy to, to projects. Now, is are tickets still available to the public for Slam Dance, and how do they get them? Yeah, they are. What we do, actually, we, we, um, we don't sell out. We actually have stopped selling tickets for the moment, and then we reopen selling tickets, actually, on site uh, this coming Thursday. And it's still possible to buy a few of the passes that we have available as well. But um, one of the reasons why we don't sell all of our tickets is because we really want to make sure that the Park City locals can enjoy the festival. Um, we want everyone to um, to experience land dance and to come and enjoy the enjoy the films. And uh, we're very, you know, we're, we're inclusive. We're not exclusive, and it's very important to us then that we welcome the locals of Park City. We know really enjoy independent film and get a chance to meet all of these new filmmakers. Um, so pass is available on our website still at slamdance.com. And as I said, tickets are available again for sale come 9 o'clock on, um, on Thursday at Treasure Mountain Inn, which is our festival HQ on, on Main Street. And, of course, the festival runs from the 23rd to the 29th, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, you'll be seeing Slamdance out on the road. After that, we're now, we now have a traveling showcase, and you were referring to Slamdance Studios earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we do is we showcase some of the festival films and we take them out to different places around the states. And we have a really great program coming up for this year. And, of course, you can now see um, Sundance films online and we're continuing to grow this commercial business in support of our filmmakers and take a sort of a, you know, a bigger role, I think, in sort of being able to help them sustain their filmmakers, their filmmaking career by actually, you know, rewarding them financially as well, as well as finding a bigger audience. Uh, this is, Slamdance is the little festival that could, that is now turned into something spectacular for filmmakers and the public alike. Yeah, I think it's the little festival that has, right? Like that's, that's what it's done. Absolutely. Peter, thank you so, so much for speaking with us today. Um, I'm so excited for Slam Dance. I will have a curtain raiser column coming out later this week with some of my favorites that I've looked at. 
And uh, everybody needs to get up to Park City. Don't go to Sundance. Go to Slamdance. <laughs> Much success to you. Thanks. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks very much for the for, for doing this. It's uh, it's great to speak with you, and uh, we really appreciate the support. Uh, Annie will love your quotes. Um, I'm sure she's written them all down as we've, as we've gone along. <laughs> and, uh, um, we we hope we hope we hope to see you here. Miss Thanks for shouting out, and also just about Sundance while we're talking about it. You know, the bigger picture here is that we are there to support the greater good of independent film. Mm-hmm. And I think that Sundance and Sundance, we really do actually live side by side, and though. Sundance back in 95 really did feel as though it was there goes the neighborhood with us coming in. I think if you look at what we're both doing these days, we really are a complement, I think, to the independent film mm-hmm. making scene, and, and it's not a competition. And these are two festivals, and we really do want to celebrate um, all different types of independent filmmaking, and that's really, at the end of the day, is, is, is really important to us at this time of the year. Well, much success, Peter. I can't wait to see who the who these winners turn out to be and maybe just maybe the next film that i produce will actually make it into slam dance the last one didn't so <laughs> Peter, i'm sorry that's okay I, I, but um yeah onward and upward you know we have to keep on we we have to keep on going and keep on creating and, and trying and and um you know, but uh, we're there. But we can promise you that the film, you know, or every film will be seen fairly, and, and uh, we look forward to seeing your next project. And you most certainly will, Peter Baxter. Thank you so so much, and we'll catch up with you at Slam Dance. Great. Cheers. Bye bye. So, learned a lot about what Slam Dance is out there doing. I did not know that they're doing their road show now. Yeah, I, I love that uh, there's an idea of creating and cultivating. I think that that's really nice. What he was saying at the end about creating like this really holistic kind of cultivation for independent mm-hmm. film is, is wonderful. Yeah, and you have been to many film festivals. I have. <laughs> you, have, you have been in a film in a film festival. <laughs> I have. I hope to be in many, many more, but I, it just... When you hear somebody like Peter talk about what they're doing, like I, I, I know at the end of the day that I want to be an actor, but at the same time, I wish that I had more hours like James Franco or more clones of myself that I could go and work on a festival like that because I do very much believe in that ethos and the cultivation mm-hmm. he was talking about. And to be able to take those films out on the road to showcase to people that can't get to a festival for whatever economic means or yeah. whatever, but especially something like Walking with Trees, yeah. which I think they're going to find is going to be such a universal film for people. I mean, I immediately started thinking about like the Giving Tree and the Lorax and all these ways that we, you know, yeah, we do interact with with the arbors. Around. It's going to make me appreciate National Arbor Day all the more. Well, isn't that <laughs> that's very lovely? Yeah. Well, you know, and now we have a little more time here to go back to Paddington. Yay, bears. Yay, bears. We're big on bears here, okay? <laughs> We're big on bears. And I did not bring my Paddington bear, nor did I bring my bear that I've had since the day I was born. Um, but I also got a chance to, we were talking before about about uh, Paul's little little kingdom mm-hmm. of his own. And one of the great things here um, is also his production design uh, with Greg Williamson. So I talked to him specifically about that because there are some really notable things, especially a particular bathroom scene in Paddington. And here's what he had to say. How challenging was it for Eric then to light... And to frame with that multitude of color at play yeah. 
And then the intricacy, the production design, the intricacy of each room. Yeah. And the accoutrement. I mean, there's a lot There's a going lot on. going on everywhere. Yeah. Except the bathroom. There's yeah, not the a lot. Go, that's rather simple. sparse. Yeah. But then Paddington is making everything go on there. It's true. And there's still some nice details in there. Like, um, But yeah. The tile, the handles, the fixtures. I know. I love the high cistern and that kind of weird mixture of kind of Victorian, you know. Uh, and it's got nice things like a, a fireplace that's been boarded up. I mean, we just talked about it for a long time. I mean, time is a lot. You know, as you know, you know, you go, well... You can have some ideas in a week, but if you have a month, you can... And and we just kind of really tried to not let anything go. And there's lots of, like, little visual jokes that Gary put in, like the foot at the foot of the stairs, there's, mm-hmm. like, a marble foot. And, you know, we kind of had the idea of the tree and then went, oh, it's like a sort of family tree. Like, we were trying to find something for that hallway. And, and we sort of thought about this tree. And then when we painted it, well, they, they painted it, and I looked at it and went, what you really want to happen is all of those leaves to blow off. There's this moment people go, huh? (laughs) No, but, yeah, that would be really nice. Great. Okay, fine. But what's so great is having this amazing crew where people will then try and make that happen for you and you can do it. And, yes, it's nice when you have a crew and they make things happen. Mm, Absolutely. And they do it. They just wave a little magic wand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to mention a film that is out there currently on the fest circuit looking for a home it is it's a great film called altered it's a thriller horror it is by kelly mcclung i had the privilege of seeing it at idacuff screening room at a, for a private screening a few weeks ago it is amazing think of a darker groundhog day with a moral conscience mm. It is. It's a stunning film. It's a. It's visually very engaging. It's very much a pay attention film, a very thoughtful film. And anybody out there, film festivals, this comes across. All you programmers, program it. Look for it. Distributors, buy it. Snatch it up, because it definitely. It uh, Kelly is is a writer director that we want to see more of, and people really do should see altered because it's it's fabulous fabulous film scary scary not scary scary it's more fascinating how everything plays out and how you go back you know the days are repeated much like Mm -hmm, in groundhog mm -hmm. day each time trying to correct mistakes that you made to prevent something from happening um so it's very intense as a reminder to people box trolls is uh Oscar nominee Box Trolls is on DVD tomorrow. So that's another fun. And, you know, there's so much stuff hitting there for families right now. We've got Paddington in the theaters. We've got Box Trolls Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. is out there. Um, Big Hero 6 is coming out in February. We'll talk more about that again uh, come February. And this coming Friday, and we'll be talking about some of these films next week. Red Army, great documentary by Gabe Polsky. Told it's all about the Soviet hockey system. So all of you hockey fans out there, you definitely want to have that on your radar. Black Sea, Kevin McDonald brings us this amazing film with Jude Law, steeped in the myth of Nazi gold, mm-hmm. set in a real vintage submarine. Amazing, amazing. Strange Magic, animated film. I'm screening that tomorrow night. That comes out this coming Friday. 
Uh, and then Johnny Depp is back on screen in Mordecai, which I have not screened yet, but it looks hysterical. What are you looking forward to seeing or not seeing? <laughs> no, I, I'm looking to seeing this. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Mordecai as well. I have not seen the Box Trolls, so I know the DVD comes out tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, I need to brush up on um, some of my uh, Oscar docs that I have not seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I like, looking forward to seeing? I need to see Paddington clearly uh, for Nicole and the Bears. <laughs> clearly. Um, I, I just know that I it, I have such a nostalgia for that character that I know that it's going to take me back to second grade, and I just need to have a full day to devote to that kind of living living back in the day. And it's you know it's a film that you will want to see again and again. It is charming. It is adorable. And oh, with Jim Broadbent and Hugh Bonneville, like how yeah. how could that not happen? Uh oh, and we're getting our countdown music, so. It is it is time for us to say goodbye. Uh, you will be back again soon. Greg will be back next week. And Dion Taylor will also be joining us, a writer-director that I love beyond belief. We met uh, through L.A. Film Festival 2014, his film Supremacy, starring Danny Glover, uh, and uh, tackles race relation issues. So we'll, be, we'll see you again next week Thank with you, Dion everybody. Taylor and Greg.